Uh, um, we would be looking at Luke chapter 9, and if we were going there, because that's where we're at in progression through Luke, after the feeding of the 5,000, the next um, record found in Luke is Peter's confession of Christ. Now, that wasn't the next chronological event in the ministry of Jesus. There were other things that happened in between there. There was the feeding of the 4,000. There was the um, approach of the Syrophoenician woman who uh, pled for her daughter's life. There was a healing of a blind man. Several different things that occurred between Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 17 and 18. Um, this fact doesn't bother Christians and uh, that these events aren't recorded in Luke because we know that the Gospels are written to complement one another, to shed light on one another, not to be carbon copies. I mean, what use would that be to have four carbon copies of the Gospel and just read one book? It's like reading another book again. They're there to complement one another. Um, So prompted by the Holy Spirit, Luke determines, after revealing to his readers... Jesus' authority over demons and all of the healings and, and miracles that were occurring, uh, especially with the feeding of the 5,000, that evidence is sufficient for Peter's confession, that the reader would know why uh, Peter is confessing this. So in verse, seven, uh, verse 18 of Luke chapter 9, it simply says, uh, And it happened well that Jesus was praying alone, and the disciples were with him. Uh, and he questioned them, saying, who do you say that I am? The answer, uh, or to answer that question, I invite you now to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Because Matthew adds significantly more detail uh, to this story. And remember as I begin reading there in verse 13, that we previously learned together that there are lots of rumors swirling now about the identity of Jesus, who he is. In fact, King Herod had even been told, he had heard the rumor come back, that that John the Baptist, who Herod had beheaded, there were rumors going around that Jesus is um, uh, John the Baptist resurrected. So Herod desperately wanted to meet him and see what he looked like. He had no idea. There was no photograph. There was no record of what Jesus looked like at the time. So in Matthew 16, verse 13, we read Jesus and and him asking his disciples his identity. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means son of Jonah, son of John. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then Jesus warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Then in verse 21, 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You know, there might be someone here that might be disappointed now that I'm not going to invest a whole lot of time debunking the myth that in this passage Jesus is anointing Peter the first pope. Um, Simply by reading this passage, Uh, it's reasonable to conclude and discern that there's no mention of a pope or a papal succession or a Vatican uh, city or any perceived infallibility of Peter. Any assertion of a supremacy or uh, infallibility of Peter is quickly dissolved in verse 23. That's where Jesus calls Peter Satan. Scripture never assigns supremacy to Peter Later, the Apostle Paul even rebukes Peter after the day of Pentecost, after the church has been founded. That can be seen in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, because at the church in Antioch, Peter was publicly sinning. The Apostle Paul rebuked him. You go read that on your own. So, the superiority of Peter isn't what we're observing in this passage. What we are witnessing is the seniority of Peter. Not highest in rank, but first in order. You follow me? Not superiority, but seniority first. Peter is being commended in this passage for becoming the first apostle to declare that Jesus is the Christ. And for that, he receives a blessing from Jesus. This is the reason that Jesus changes his name from Simon, which means one who listens or one who hears, to the name Petros, or Peter, which means stone. When his brother Andrew first brought Simon uh, to meet Jesus, way back in Luke chapter 1, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Or stone. That time Jesus was was giving a prophecy of this event right here that we're looking at. You will be called a stone. Throughout the remainder of his life, every time a person would come to Peter with his new name, they would be reminded that Christ said of him, Thou art Peter. You are a stone. That that in itself is a blessing when you think about it. Uh, To be continuously reminded throughout your life that Christ said you're a stone. Your convictions are solid as a stone. Try to think about myself. It's hard to self-reflect sometimes, but, but think about it for a moment. If Jesus were to give you a name, what would that be? Faithful one? Strong believer, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you a faithful servant? Slacker. A wall, MIA. How would Christ name you? You can think about that for a 
a little bit. I'm glad nobody spoke out loud there in that one. Jesus gave Simon that name because when he asked the twelve, when they're alone to pray and they asked together, uh, Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 17 we see uh, there's a first half here to Christ's blessing on Peter. Um, uh, on this bold confession he gave, he said, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. You are previously called Simon, but from now on everyone's going to refer to you as Peter, in effect. Everyone will refer to you as a stone. The new name Petros becomes the first half of Christ's blessing. And then Jesus makes this famous proclamation. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Upon this rock I will build my church. Rock is not the word Petros. doesn't mean stone. Uh, it is a related word. There is a play on names here. But it is a related word called Petra, which means a rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Um, that word is specifically bedrock. It, it's, it's something that you would build a building on. It's the opposite of sand. You get me? Go to Matthew chapter 7 and said, uh, when you're supposed to build on the rock... Not the sand. The Petra is you are to build on a rock of foundation. Petra is a rock of foundation. Christ's declaration is that His church is going to be founded on, built on, established on a large rock. A foundational rock. So the question we must answer then is, what is the large rock? Or who is the large rock? Romans 9 verse 33 tells us this, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock, a Petra, of offense. And he who believes in him, in that rock, will not be disappointed. Who's the rock we believe in? Don't need any help with that one. It is the person who Peter just confessed as the Christ. Jesus is the rock. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, when referencing ancient Israel and their wandering in the wilderness, Paul writes this, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock, Petra, and the rock was Christ. Christ is the rock. Peter himself wrote in our scripture reading earlier that we read 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, The stone which, is, which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock, Petra, of offense. Never in scripture does Peter refer to himself as the rock, but in our scripture reading he refers to Jesus as 
the rock. Jesus as the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2 verse 20 reminds us, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Christ alone cornerstone. As you probably noticed in that verse, all the apostles eventually become part of the foundation, which was built of stones. All of the apostles, each of them, became uh, a part of the foundation of the church. They each provided eyewitness testimony. They were all stones, folks. Peter was clearly the first stone. So in honor of this, Christ named him Stone. He's solid as a stone. But Scripture repeatedly asserts Jesus Christ Himself is the rock. He is the cornerstone. Uh, The rock upon which Jesus builds His church is the content of Peter's confession. What he said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation of the church. That is the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, right? The church is built upon that truth that Peter confessed, that Jesus is the Christ, and the gates of hell won't even be able to withstand that declaration. The gates of hell can't withstand it, can't overpower it, can't endure the declaration that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus wasn't building His church On Peter. Or was he? In some sense. See some confused looks. We better keep on reading, folks. Because in verse 19, it reveals the second part of Peter's blessing. Jesus says to him, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter. Obviously, everyone here realizes that keys represent a a way to unlock a point of entry, right? Keys open a point of entry. And in verse 19, Christ suggests these keys open the door or unlock the door to the kingdom of heaven. What type of key would that take? A little brass key? What, what, what type of key would be used to open the door to heaven? Well, well, Jesus provides a little more than a rock-solid hint in Scripture. In Luke 11, verse 52, there he says, Woe to you, lawyers, talking to the religious lawyers now, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. For you yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Again, we're talking about the kingdom. A reference to entering the kingdom via a key of knowledge, Jesus says. A key of understanding. The key to entering heaven is knowledge and understanding about Christ and that He is God's Son. That's the knowledge of God that people need to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God in the Gospel Um, at the day of Pentecost. Matthew 23, verse 13. Um, 
says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you yourselves do not enter in, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So again, the Pharisees, scribes, religious lawyers, um, they have closed, they have shut off entry into the kingdom. Peter's going to open it. Peter's going to open the door. Peter was the first to make the bold profession of Christ. So Peter enjoys a special privilege at being the first to open the door to the kingdom. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably come to realize that that Peter is the first one to declare the gospel on the day of Pentecost. First one to preach. In Acts 2 verse 22, Peter declared, Men of Israel... Listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Then a few verses later, uh, actually picking up in verse 36. Peter, same sermon here now. It's a long sermon. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just a few verses later, Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's the declaration. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and, Peter, and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you, and be, na- and be baptized in the name uh, of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See how the door was open with the proclamation of the message that Jesus is the Christ, the one who you crucified, who now is raised from the dead. So Peter was the first to get to declare Jesus as the Christ privately among the apostles. So he gets to be the first to declare Jesus as the Christ publicly. That's another blessing that Jesus gives to Peter, to publicly declare it. Uh, He becomes the first to use the key for entry into the kingdom of God, to open the door uh, to, to Christ's kingdom through preaching him at Pentecost. That's the door that Peter opened. He also became the first to lay hands on the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. You can read about that um, in Acts chapter 8, where he laid hands on, he was called up by Philip to lay hands on uh, the Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, through a dream, Cornelius uh, summoned Peter, through a dream, he was told to bring Peter. That Peter had a message that Cornelius and his household needed to hear. Remember, that's in Acts chapter ten. Blessed by Christ, Peter was was given the proverbial keys to use with three different people groups: the Jews at Pentecost, the the half Jews in Samaria, and then later Cornelius, the first one to open the door to the Gentiles. Peter was given the keys. Again, he was first. Does that suggest that 
that Peter was the last. The last one uh, to preach and open the same door. Did, did he preach and then, you know, lose the keys somewhere? Did he throw away the keys? No, pre- uh, Peter's preaching, through that he was the first to unlock that narrow door that leads into heaven, that narrow gate. And the other apostles, folks, they also received those keys. They were also eyewitness testimonies to the resurrected Christ. They each became foundational stones to the church, every single one of them. The honor was for Peter that he got to be the first to declare to each of those groups. He got to open the door. Who here doesn't enjoy the blessing of being first? You can ask the kids tonight. They'll probably want to be first at a lot of things that Pastor Weiler is going to show them up here as they get going. No, think about it for a second. We talk about it all the time. Um, who is the first to fly in a powered aircraft? The Wright brothers, famous. Who was, a, who was the first to break the sound barrier, go faster than the speed of sound? You know, Chuck Yeager, right? Who was the first to, to fly across the Atlantic? You got Lindbergh. All of these first, the first female Supreme Court justice. Sandra Day O'Connor. You remember them, right? It is a privilege to be the first. Every culture, everybody recognizes there is a special privilege when you get to be the first at something very significant. What is more significant than preaching that Christ has died for your sins and now he has been resurrected? Peter got the, the blessing of announcing the most significant thing ever. Any, any human event that ever occurred, Peter got to be first uh, preaching the gospel. Jesus gave him the keys, he unlocked the door. Um, we, we ought to think about that really, what a privilege it is, folks, to open the door to the kingdom for people, to use the keys. So many people, got, they've lost their keys. They, they, they fell on the ground somewhere, they, they aren't even bothered about looking for their keys. Folks, we've got the keys to open the door to the kingdom, the gospel message that Jesus is the Christ. And we so often fail to use them. Peter saw it as the greatest. Christ announced it as a great blessing. We need to remember that. Additionally, Peter is told, this is good, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. If you forward in Matthew, same book, just two chapters, you don't have to go there right now, but if you were to forward to Matthew chapter 18, you will discover that this identical statement, same words, identical statement, is applied broadly to local churches. The, the authority delegated to local churches in Matthew 18. It's, it, it's in the context of, of disciplining an unresponsive sinner. Someone who, who refuses to forsake their sin and it's affecting the congregation. Um, so that it, it's a church discipline passage. Um, it, it's not an authority given only to Peter. We'll see in two chapters that it is an authority that, that is given to the church to discipline unpenitent church members. Matthew 18 verse 17 says this, if he refuses to listen, meaning the, the unrepentant um, sinner, church member, 
If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, see, same phraseology. It's about authority. It's about authority granted um, in the local church. Binding and loosing involves discipline, authority. Um, church discipline, that's, that's a topic for a different day. We're not, we're not going to go there today. But be aware that, that admission into a local church, generally that is through faith, confession, baptism, admission into a local church, and an expulsion from a local church due to sin. Um, excommunication sometimes it is called. Those acts, when done within the perimeter of, of biblical guidelines, they have the authority of heaven. God, God gives a hearty amen to that when it's done appropriately. Um, the local church exercises biblical authority on earth. You know, Peter's not still here. Peter isn't running around, you know, finding, watching us and personally doing that. It, it, is, it is delegated now to the local church, that authority. It isn't exclusively a role of Peter. But it was exercised first by Peter. Again, another first. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, Peter was the first to declare Judas Iscariot as unfit and to forfeit his share in the apostolic office, in the gospel ministry. Um, exercising authority on earth now as a representative of Christ, Peter also announced then the criteria of who would be biblically qualified to fill Judas's office. Do you remember? Go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. And Peter then declared who was qualified to fill that office. It's an authority issue um, with disciplining, in a sense, Judas, who had already passed, and then filling uh, a spot again, bringing in a binding and a loosing. That, that is something that, that Peter was able to do because the authority was delegated from heaven. Um, and folks, whether it's a wayward pastor who has, has lost his way or... Um, admission into a church or an unresponsive church member who, who uh, is in sin and they won't, won't repent of the sin or whatever it is, the rev- revocation of uh, membership because of a, uh, a failure to abide by a church covenant, whatever that would be, when done within biblical parameters, when the church speaks with God's delegated authority, it's God's decision. It's been bound on earth. It's been bound in heaven. Someone repents again, wants to come back to the church, calls for the elders to lay hands on them, whatever it is. Now it's been loosed on earth. It's been loosed in heaven. So fortunately, as I said, church discipline, it's a different subject for a different day. Of course, the day is early. I mean, you never really know for sure. As far as we know, it's a different subject for a different day. Um, no, what we want to know today is... Is, is this pattern set by Peter, it's profitable for us. Peter, Peter's pattern of being a stone is profitable for us. And since Jesus 
since Jesus pronounces such a blessing on Peter for his confession, for his being firm in his conviction, would we not think that God would be pleased if we too would stand firm on the same confession of Christ? You know, you know, Jesus never intended for Peter to become the only stone in the church. He, he merely received the great honor of being first. He was first. Fortunately, Peter knows a little bit about living as a stone. So it's no coincidence, um, it is he who writes the church, urging us to become living stones. We saw in our scripture reading earlier from 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter begins in verse 1 by, by exercising, um, calling us all out, urging us to live as stones. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn, newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Then he adds, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know, to become a living stone isn't just a call to moral purity. That's not all it is. You have to, as Peter says, you must have tasted the kindness of the Lord. It's the same kindness Peter received in Matthew 16. Verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, know, Peter didn't just come to the conclusion one day on his own. He he didn't just sit back and think, and I I wonder who this guy is. Maybe he's the Christ. Some are saying John the Baptist. Some Some are saying Jeremiah. Some are saying a prophet. Peter didn't just, in his reason, finally come to the boldness to declare Jesus as the Christ. It wasn't just because he saw a lot of miracles either, because there were all kinds of people who saw the same miracles and were lost as a goose. Peter had tasted the kindness of the Lord in the fact that our Father who is in heaven unveiled Christ's identity to him. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. Wasn't your own flesh and blood? Wasn't anybody else's flesh and blood? It is the kindness of the Lord. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. God opened Peter's heart. So look at sovereignty. Uh, this is a prerequisite to becoming a living stone. You, you can't become a living stone if you're just stone cold, dead in your trespasses and sins, right? You have to have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Before that, we're spiritually dead as a doornail. And Titus 3 verse 4 tells us, listen to this, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of His Holy Spirit, God saved us. That's a tasting the kindness of of our Lord. If you've been saved here today, it's an indication of God's kindness to you. Um, so in 1 Peter 2, verse 4, coming to Him, I meaning coming to Jesus as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up 
as a spiritual house, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ is the living cornerstone. The apostles became other foundation stones. We too are being told to become living stones to offer up sacrifices to God which is acceptable through Christ our Savior. Together, folks, we are the temple of God. You've got Christ the cornerstone. You've got the writings of the apostles and prophets which are the foundational stones which complete the foundation and we are building. We are building a temple a whole, for a whole, to, to house a holy priesthood. We are a temple together. When, when, it, when you're looking in Scripture, be careful, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When it says talking about a temple, there are certain contexts where it's talking about your body. But when you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's talking about us corporately as a temple. We are building together. Make sure in context you're looking at at what Paul is talking about there. We are together a temple of God. Peter says we are to become living stones, offering up spiritual sacrifices to God as we build this temple with more and more living stones. Again, a stone indicates a person holding just rock-solid convictions. A stony person, much like Peter. <clears throat> but Peter here uses a different term for stones in his writing. It's not Petros. We are to be a lithos. A building stone. A, it would be a stone that was hewn from a rock and shaped to fit in the wall. Shaped perfectly for a special purpose. It might have to do with unique giftedness in the way that your gifted um, yourself for building up the temple of God. I don't want to read too much into this selection of words by Peter because he even uses lithos at one point to describe Christ but later then calls him the rock. Um, um, I think it's interesting that Peter never calls us to be Petroses. He never uses the same term as was used for him. You know, I wonder if while writing this letter, I thought about this. And imagine writing, asking people to become living stones. And your name is Stone. Are you then going to call people to just be living Peters? How awkward would that be? I want you all to be living Johns out there. And living Geralds. So, so I think it's purposeful as he's writing here to not, to avoid that. We're not becoming little Peters. We're becoming little Christs. In fact, that's what the word Christian means. It means a little Christ. We look like Him. And Peter says that we need to be fitted into this building of this, of this body of Christ, fitted together as a specially shaped stone would fit. Each of us crafted by God, much like Peter, but not Peter. We're all stones, but we're not Peter. Because Jesus just shaped us each a little different, folks. That's a good thing. I'm glad everybody isn't shaped square like me. 
if everybody were a square rock like me, I mean, how would, how would that work? That'd be, that'd be boring. That'd be horrible. Each of us has a different purpose. We are to function together with one goal, and that is to build the household of God, folks. Peter calls us to build. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His light. Peter, Peter urges us to become like stones, a lot like he was. Bold in proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Was Peter's confession just for him? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Or was it for everybody? Is that everyone's confession? Add in the resurrection and that he was the sacrifice for our sins. For he rescued us out of the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, we proclaim just like Peter did. On the day of Pentecost when he proclaimed that this Christ whom you crucified, he is now risen. He died for our sins, but now he's been raised. And, but while proclaiming the excellencies of him, I don't think that Peter's only Referring to that. Just, just tell people, you know, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. That is the gospel. But it's not enough. It's not enough to just tell people that and expect them to respond quickly. As we speak to these young folks tonight, to these families and others, um, you know, a lot of times it would be helpful, instead of just asserting right away that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and if you don't believe that, you're going to hell. A lot of times it's helpful to declare the excellencies of Christ, the majesty of Christ, how he is God in human flesh, how he loved, how he fed people, how he cared for the people who followed him, how he treated well even the people who didn't doctrinally follow him, but he took care of them, he taught them. even Peter, when you look at it, the testimony that he had um, early on when they were in the boat, Peter, Peter said, uh, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Just, just think of our past and what we were shaped like before Christ and now being called as living stones to be shaped and to fit into God's building we needed some cleaning up. Peter needed cleaning up. In fact, the night that Jesus was betrayed, there were some bystanders that came up and said to Peter, Surely, too, you are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. And Scripture says that he became, began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know that man. After Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, He denied knowing him. But God did not forsake Peter. And later he became once again bold in his witness. Folks, if you've turned away, if you've wrecked your life again, God did not turn away. From you. 
And he is asking you and calling out to you to come back to him. And he wants to shape you and make you fit again in his beautiful building, which he calls his church, folks. He shapes us. Peter was a man who struggled. He was a man who for a season failed. In Galatians chapter 2, as we said, religious legalism creeped in at one point. Um, that's one of the ditches. You could end up in, in licentiousness, in unrepentant sin. That's another ditch, folks. God is calling you out and back to his church. Peter fell into a ditch or two. Most of us have. Can, can Christians slip into a ditch? Just look at all the exhortations in Scripture to get your life straight. Even to Christians. Obviously, we can slip into a ditch. But though we aren't perfect, God's Spirit gave us a new heart. One of flesh that's alive to God. And the Holy Spirit is now working through you. He's shaping you. Everything in your past he has used to shape you to fit perfectly into God's plan. Folks, next week we're going to look at a call by Christ that we would take up our cross and follow him. For some, it will seem unimaginable. For some, they say to themselves, God wouldn't use me after what I've done and after I denied him and now I don't know what to do. Folks, he's there. He's calling us back to him. He's calling us back to a holiness, to a purity, to be shaped by him for his glory. Let's pray. Father,